Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. This is a call-in show, so it's it's the best radio when you call in. You talk about what you're interested in. Uh, I can drone on about stuff, but who knows? You may not care about that. Let's talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, if you want to call, the phone number is 979, area code for those of you outside the area, 845 845- Five six eight nine eight four five five six eight nine, or by email at garden success at tamu dot edu. Garden success at tamu dot edu. Well, today I'm I'm fortunate to be joined in the studio uh, by Jay White of Texas Gardener Magazine. I don't normally have guests on in the live shows. We, you know, when we have to record a show, I usually visit with a guest. Uh, but uh, Jay was in the area, and so I twisted his arm, and I, I guess. Uh, uh, he had a lapse of mental thought for a moment and agreed to do it. Jay, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Well, thank you, Skip. I am very excited to be here. <laughs> and thank you for coming on the spur of the moment. Uh, I literally, I got mud on my pants and my boots because we were in a nursery when you called. Okay, so. that's a happy place to be. It is. Yeah, well, I uh, I uh, look forward to visiting with you. Um, I'd like to talk just a little bit about Texas Gardener. I think, I think a lot of people don't realize the unique um, gift we have here in Texas of having a magazine of, of gardening for Texas. And you, you would think, well, there's got to be a magazine in Kansas and Mississippi for, you know, gardening around the state. But that's not the case. Will you that's elaborate not. on that? Well, you know, Sally and I bought the magazine from the gentleman that started it. Uh, his name was Chris Corby, and he ran it for 37 years. We've had it for five years now, so we've, we've been doing it 42, or it's been in business 42 years. When we bought the magazine five years ago, there were 37 what are called state-by-state or regional gardening magazines. Mm-hmm. Today, there are five. five. And so the only one that's for-profit is Texas Gardener Magazine. The other ones are backed up by horticultural societies, the Florist Society uh, backs the one in California. And so we're proud of that. I mean, I think the reason people will still pay us Mm -hmm. for good gardening information is because our tagline is we're the the magazine for Texas gardeners by Texas gardeners. That's true. Everybody that writes for us is somebody like you. You've been with us for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Everybody that writes for us are degreed working horticulturalists in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've you've got an amazing collection of folks because I I know— probably 80, 90 percent of the people that write. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are, I'd, I'd read anything they wrote. I, do. I mean, they're good. I tell people, all I do is gather their stuff together. The magazine is not a success because of Jay White. It's yeah. a success because of the Skip Richters, the Greg Grants, the Keith Hansons, mm-hmm. the David Creeches. You know, mm-hmm. all of those people that write for us, Patty Leander, mm-hmm. um, Suzanne Lavery, we just an outstanding group of horticulturalists. Well, it's 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 a joy to read, and it's it has been changing, I noticed. Uh, you know, you guys took over, you said, five years ago. Uh, in the last few years, uh, you guys have made some changes that have made it uh, a lot more visually appealing, a lot more interesting, uh, just the whole, the whole layout, the types of articles and whatnot. Uh, 
I guess that was kind of a little bit of a step out of faith because, you know, you never know how readers are going to respond to changes. That is true. I mean, we made some tweaks, like you said, primarily aesthetics. I mean, Mm -hmm. we just wanted to make sure that we were producing an attractive product because, you know, about one-third of our sales come from newsstands. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, the magazine industry was able to rely on subscriptions for the Mm -hmm. major part of of their income. Mm -hmm. But now most, or at least a third of my sales come from HEB, Barnes & Nobles, Whole Foods, your local nursery. I know Arborgate advertises with Mm -hmm. you. They sell our magazine. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of people. So it has to be eye-catching when it's sitting there on the shelf. Um, And so that was one thing that we did work toward. But while we gave it an updated look, we stuck with the format that's always worked with us, and that is using qualified horticulturalists, using research-based information to Mm -hmm. provide factual information. And I really think that's why people like us is they they trust us. They think if it's in our pages, they can count on it to work for them at home. Well, that's... That is a good thing, and then I guess that is why you guys have, have survived uh, while many, many others have folded up. And I wouldn't say you're just surviving. I think you're probably growing in terms we are. of the interest. So just FYI, if you want to subscribe to Texas Gardener this month and you want to get the January-February tomato issue, there are 33 left. And 33 there are total, 33 out left. of all the mass printing you <laughs> out do out of all the mass printing we do we always buy a thousand extra copies mm-hmm. to go to new subscribers mm-hmm. and all of that and in fact if you hadn't bought, brought me 13 to this discussion today there would be 20 left right. so oh my. Um, so it's been a very good month um, yeah. and this is our biggest selling issue by far the tomato yeah. issue so yeah, you know, we joke at the extension office, the three things that make the phone ring are trees, turf, and tomatoes, the three T's. Uh, nobody ever calls me about their kohlrabi, uh, you know. So if you grow kohlrabi, call in, let's talk about it. Because we talk tomatoes, about 90% of the garden stuff is about tomatoes when it comes to crops. But that's good. We love tomatoes. There's always, I don't know what we would do if there was a new gardening year without a dozen new tomato varieties oh, yeah. to try out. And let me tell you what has been interesting to me is there are so many good tomatoes out there. And I guess I'm, I'm sure you probably follow this, but there's only been two tomatoes that they've named a Texas superstar. Mm-hmm. And the first one was Tycoon. Mm-hmm. And then this year, I shouldn't have said I'm drawing a blank. Um, uh, Texas superstar this year. I should know that. I should, too. I just had it, but, you know, I'm in my 60s I'll now. I'll think of it so. here in just a second. But anyway, they produced these. And then all of a sudden, the producers start stop making them available. They're hard to find. And so, um, anyway, that's interesting to me how the tomato market works. I mean, you have these tomato varieties. You work years to develop. You get some recognition like a Texas superstar. But they're already in the development plan for two, three, four years down the road. And sometimes the seeds for the things that we know are good in Texas are a little yeah. hard to find. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, last or the year before last, 21, Celebrity was the Oh, yeah. Cele- the oh, I'm sorry, superstar. there's three. Mm-hmm. So there's Tycoon, Celebrity, and this year it's something. Valley Cat. Valley, Valley Cat. Cat. Valley Cat. Cat. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are tested in San Antonio, some yeah. of the farms around, around San Antonio. Uh, and they always do well. Tycoon was so popular uh, we gave some out um, at an interpretation event we were doing, and for about three years, I had to hunt down tycoon oh, yeah. uh, transplants 
because the people were so enthusiastic. They, that's the tomato they wanted. You oh, know? yeah. And I, I think seeds are available again now. They are. Yeah. Um, I know one of our advertisers is David's Garden Seeds. Mm-hmm. And he has in San Antonio. Them. In San Antonio, mm-hmm. yeah. And he got me some, and he has them on his website. So if yeah. you like them, they're still around. Okay. That's the thing with tomatoes. There are so many new varieties. And sometimes the home garden tomato market can be a, a pretty much a limited, limiting market. And with hundreds and hundreds of varieties to choose from that are available by seed. Uh, it's hard to have a variety stand out and really be worth hanging on to and continuing to, you know, save seeds and uh, make available. So oh, yeah. that's that's always a challenge. Oh gosh, tomatoes, what a what a thing. Hey, let's, uh, let's go back and uh, talk about calling in. Our phone number, 979-845- Five six eight nine. Give us a call if you want to visit, have some questions, or if you just want to ask Jay White a question. He'll answer any question you can think of. So how's that putting you on the spot, Jay? <laughs> and if I can't, I'll defer to you. You'll, what you do is if you can't, you say, oh, my gosh, that's a, such a simple question. I'm going to pass, and I'll, I'll let Skip, my assistant, or, uh, answer that one for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a strategy. Uh, seriously, though, 845-5689 or by email, Garden Success at tamu. dot edu. Garden Success at tamu. dot edu. I want to talk a little bit about some things going on around town. We always like to keep you informed for those of you who are interested in various aspects of gardening. Uh, on February tenth, the A and M Garden Club is going to meet at Peace Lutheran Church which is on Rio Grande, uh, and it's uh, 9.30 a.m. Uh, and uh, Lizette Templin, director of the TAMU Urban Farm, will talk about aeroponic gardening. This is a garden, a garden that has been uh, organized and managed uh, with students, and uh, they have a, an indoor uh, hydroponic types of systems, and this specifically is going to be talking about the aeroponic approach to gardening. Uh, so if you don't know what aeroponic is, it basically is spraying nutrient solutions onto the roots of plants uh, to grow them uh, in an indoor environment. So Friday, February 10th, 9.30 a.m., Peace Lutheran Church, and of course that's free. Now on Tuesday, the 14th, what is the 14th? That day stands out. I don't as, know. Uh, it's something about I prune need to, your roses. I or need something. to ask my wife what the 14th <laughs> is so I can remember. Uh, that'll go well. So <laughs> Friday 14th, the Brazos County Rose Society at noon is going to have one of our master gardeners, James Knipe, and he will be speaking on pruning roses. So if you're interested in learning how to prune roses, uh, you want to go to the Brazos uh, County Rose Society, and I don't have a location for that, but you can call Maggie and uh, get a pen. You always have to have a pen when you're listening to this show because you know, never know what kind of phone number is going to go out there. Uh, call Maggie at 778-4252, and she can give you information and direct you. Uh, uh, James is very knowledgeable, and uh, if you want to, if you got a bunch of rose bushes and you're kind of sitting there looking at them, wondering what to do, you need to attend this meeting Tuesday, February 14th. Uh, and uh, you'll have to call them for the time. On the 16th, the Brazos Valley Orchid Society meets at 7 p.m., and that is at Fire Station 6 at the corner of University and Taro. Uh, if you have an orchid uh, that's blooming, you can bring it in for discussion. Uh, if you have an orchid question, which I know a lot of people do, uh, you can uh, just 
visit with the experts there at the Brazos Valley Orchid Society, 7 p.m. February 16th. Again, it's a free event. Uh, you know, uh, Jay, this is the official year of the orchid. Uh, the National Gardening Bureau has a year of the, they do a perennial, they do an annual vegetable, they do a, um, uh, a house plant now. And uh, anyway, this is the year of the orchid. And uh, so I, I think everybody needs to try an orchid. I was, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, my wife has gotten into orchids lately. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll somebody will give you one for a gift and then they do pretty well. And so then you want to try another. Yeah. And about the only south-facing window we have in our house is in our kitchen. And it is right. now covered up. I think we've got three orchids up there and then a bunch of cuttings. And so yeah. they are kind of addictive, I think. <laughs> that That is true. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, I, I can't grow an orchid. And for some of the orchids that are out there, I would agree, uh, they're a little bit of a challenge to grow. Uh, but there are orchids that we can grow, more than one type. Uh, the the one we see everywhere, you see it when you even when you walk into a grocery store, is the Phalaenopsis orchid, which is also called the moth orchid, and that's the easiest one to grow. If you give them bright light, uh, they like humidity. If you can, I have mine in a in a restroom in a bathroom in a window where there's one of those cloudy glass right. windows, and it diffuses the light, and it's it's as happy as it can be because. Uh, you know, you take a shower and the steam comes out oh, yeah. and it just creates that, that environment. But I've also grown them in offices. I've grown them in other parts of the house. And uh, they're, they you can get them to rebloom pretty easily. So I probably have a half dozen that I've just picked up over the years and just kind of hanging on to. And if I... If I think to do the things I know they really want me to do, uh, I might even get some blooms on them each year. So that's kind of cool. I read something about them just this last week because, like I say, I'm not, you know, I've never really grown them. This is something Sally does. And I'd always heard, you know, I like these old wives' tales in gardening. They say just put an ice cube on it once a week or whatever. Yes. But then I read an article this week that said definitely do not put an ice cube on your orchids. (laughs) They said no orchid grows in a place where ice forms and melts to um, water their roots. You know, we have these horticultural controversies all the time. And I've I've always been like, why would you put an ice cube on a plant that grows on the side of a tree in a tropical rainforest? Right. That's <laughs> you know. I mean, when somebody wrote it, it made yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. It was like, how did that even come about? Yeah. But, well, the reason they do that is because that keeps you from overwatering. Right. You know, you're not going to pile up a giant pile of ice on, around the orchid. So a couple of cubes, and I always just said, don't do that. That can't be good. And in Georgia, I think the University of Georgia or some research over there, they they looked at, uh, you know, putting an ice cube on versus regular watering and stuff, and the performance was about the same, yeah. which I still don't like the idea of a frozen item sitting on top of an orchid root or a an orchid stem. Orchid. But research-wise, I'm having to kind of back up a little bit and not just say that's insane because apparently it's not. Uh, the, the, one of the biggest problems with orchids, these moth orchids that we bring home, is we overwater them. And uh, sometimes they come packed in kind of a sphagnum moss, and sometimes they come packed in wood chips. And I think I may have mentioned this even last week on the radio. Uh, but I, I bought a whole bunch of them for an event. And, and you know, they're halfway being taken care of by the horticulturist in the office. And so uh, I noticed some of them were going downhill. And those were the ones that were in sphagnum moss because I'd watered them all the same. And so when you looked at the roots, they were they were brown, gray, rotting. 
because I kept them too wet. And those that were in bark did just fine. Uh, that's not to say you can't grow them in sphagnum moss. It's just, hey, remember, uh, remember that, you know, don't that's over a, water. Yeah, that's a that's a something you don't want to do for sure. Uh, they like to drain really well. I mean, think about it. They're sitting on the side of a tree attached to the bark, and you're getting rain pretty often. But that rain just it just disappears. It it doesn't puddle up on right. on the orchid. Uh, so uh, Karen called in or emailed, excuse me, not Karen, Joan, uh, Joan or Joni uh, emailed and said, could you repeat the name of the tomato variety that neither of us could remember <laughs> appropriate for Texas? Well, OK, if you got a pen ready, it's uh, last year's that or the 2021 superstar was Celebrity and the 2022 is one called Valley Cat. Now, Valley Cat may be hard to find uh, locally. Uh, I don't know that it is, but I, I would suspect that it might be a little hard. But, you know, Celebrity's been around since the 70s. It's an All-America selection. Yeah, Celebrity's one of those things when people ask me, you know, what tomatoes should I grow? Mm -hmm. And I tell them, I always grow Celebrity. Yes. And I always grow Early Girl. And then the other stuff that I grow are just experiments. Yeah. What What do you want to try this year? That's gonna, you know, what's yeah. gonna be the next one? And you have to have it. You have to have a few experiments. Every you do. Year. Every, yeah. If you're if you're not experimenting, you're yeah. not really gardening. Yeah. So, so. But I will tell you, Valley Cat is hard to find. We had a mm -hmm. reader um, send us a note looking for it, mm -hmm. and so I even reached out to um, Dr. Larry Stein to see if he had a source for it. Mm -hmm. And my reader had said the only place they had been able to find it was eBay and Etsy. And okay. he said, yeah, he said, you're not ever sure what you're no, getting there. but Buyer said, beware. Yeah, he said, but I don't have a better source for you right now. He yep. said they're a little little okay. hard to find. Well, that that is a problem. And uh, uh, so, but I'll tell you this, there are a lot of good varieties out there. Uh, it, if one thing about celebrity over the years when I was in Montgomery County and when I was in Harris County we did a lot of tomato trials and we always threw celebrity in and it was like the standard to compare things to celebrity was never the best of any trial maybe we tried six or eight varieties celebrity was never the winner but it was always in the you know toward the top and and a solid performer that's right and uh, one thing I like about Celebrity is it's one of the few tomatoes that you, you can buy for the home garden that is nematode resistant. That's not a real common thing. Yep. Yeah. And I will tell you, sometimes when you say it's not that great a tomato, I mean, one of uh, my favorite stories, an, a non-gardening friend of mine mm -hmm. was passing through in an RV, and it was the first part of December. Mm -hmm. And the only tomatoes that we still had, because we hadn't a freeze yet, was a celebrity. Uh -huh. And he carried on about how that was the best tasting tomato he'd ever had. That's right. And so I understand he hadn't sampled as many tomatoes as somebody like you. Yeah. But, man, he was impressed with that homegrown celebrity on the 16th of December. He well, thought and, that was awesome. Yeah, and to come to celebrities' defense, our trials weren't taste tests. Right. They were um, production trials. You right. Know, how many do they produce and how disease-prone is the plant and things like that. Uh, so that was good. Uh, interestingly enough, um, you know, they say you shouldn't um, refrigerate tomatoes because it ruins the flavor. And so we decided we were going to test that and, and find out if that's true. Uh, and I got to thinking, you know, I know that a cold tomato that just came out of the refrigerator, uh, the volatiles aren't going to be coming out of it as much as when it warms up. Right. That's just the, the nature of the thing. So what we did is we cut tomatoes in half from the stem end to the blossom end. So the two halves were identical. 
and we put uh, saran wrap on the half so they didn't the cut half wasn't exposed to the air, you know, and, and everything. Uh, we put one half in the refrigerator, we left them overnight, and the other half sat on the kitchen counter overnight. The next day we took them out of the refrigerator, let them warm up to room temperature, and then we sliced them into slices like an orange, again, so each slice is identical to the other. You know, it's not like you're tasting the bottom of the tomato or right. that top shoulder or whatever. And we put them down a row of paper plates that, and it just said, you know, A, B, C, D, E. People did not know what they were tasting. And the assumption is these are all different varieties. And the refrigerated tomatoes rated just as high as the unrefrigerated tomatoes. Now, I, that was not a, you know, we didn't have a hundred samplers. We probably had about 30 that were in it. And I'm sure there's some yeah buts, but uh, I was surprised. I figured that people would not like them, but when they didn't have them side by side and they were just tasting uh, and they didn't know what they were tasting, they rated fine. Yeah, you know Bill Adams. Oh yeah. <laughs> Texas Tomato King. I, yeah. I love Bill. He lives down the road from us in Round Top. And um, you know, he's grown I have no idea how many varieties. He used to grow 100 varieties a year is what he said. <laughs> and and so he takes part in all of these taste tests. You know, he travels all over and they get him to judge tomato yeah. taste tests and everything. And after all the tomatoes that he's grown and mm -hmm. all the tomatoes that he's tasted, you know what his favorite is? What? What he said, this is the best tasting tomato in the world is sun gold. Sun gold. The little, oh, the little, the little yellow, yellow cherry, cherry tomato. He said that is the best tasting tomato it, in the world. It really is a good one. And yeah. uh, and it is. I mean, I've grown it. It is a good one, you know. But you get so. I think taste is so subjective, yeah. and people are, people are influenced yeah. by marketing. You know, Cherokee purple. Oh man, that's a great tomato. I grow yeah. one of my favorite heirlooms is black from Tulia, mm -hmm. and when I grow that, I swear it's the best tasting tomato that I've ever tasted. And somebody's going to ask for that name. Would you uh, black from I don't know if it's it's T U L A. I call it oh, black Tula. from Tulia, but it might be black from Tula. Okay. And I get it at rareseeds.com. Okay. Fairly, I hadn't even heard of that variety. Oh man, it's good. It's kind of like Cherokee purple. Yeah. It's just a little bit darker or whatever if you mm -hmm. want to say smoky. Yeah. But it's one of my faves and um but anyway, I guarantee that if I were blind taste tested, yeah. I probably couldn't pick it out yeah. from celebrity or maybe so. Or the others. I'd like to sometime do a test like that uh, where what I described but um, we blindfold people so oh, they yeah. can't see it because there's tomatoes like green zebra right. that are green with these kind of orangey streaks in them. And, yeah. you know, that's got to affect your mental thought about how this is going to taste. Right. And, uh, I'd like to try the yellow ones and, and some different ones and just if you can't see what you're tasting, what do you think? So yep. That'd be fun. So that, <laughs> that Pepsi is, challenge all over. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll try it again and, and see. Uh, I... Uh, I, I just enjoy growing tomatoes, and Bill Adams is oh my gosh, that guy. Uh, he was he, he he was amazing when we he was a coworker as a horticulturist. He was done in Harris County, and uh, just uh, fun, <laughs> fun to engage with. And he had a sense of adventure. I mean, you just never knew what he was going to come up with because he was always a hundred tomato varieties. Jay, I can't oh, imagine. Well, and, and he jokes, and now you know he's a little older. And so he said he's cut it down, and now he only grows 50 varieties. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I've got eight varieties started at home. So right. I, I will wind up growing eight tomato plants this year. Yep. 
Bill grew 50 varieties. You know? <laughs> so he would have 100, 150 plants out yeah. there, and that's when his wife made him, you know, cut his efforts in half. I mean, <laughs> that's that is funny. You know, he mentioned. Uh, you said sun sugar, right? I said sun gold. Uh, sun gold. Right. This year, I'm growing sun gold and sun sugar. I got some little transplants started, and I want to compare the two side by side because sun gold is an awesome small cherry tomato and it's it yellow so some people you know have this thing about color like yellow watermelons are, are yeah. hard to sell compared to a red watermelon right. and and uh so i'm going to give those a try we'll have yeah. a report in july or something there we go i don't know sun sugar that one's a new one too yeah it's a i can't remember where we got it so some seed company and we just grew out the transplants yeah all right. Well, we're talking a lot of tomatoes here uh, and all kinds of things with Jay White, uh, the publisher of Texas Gardener Magazine. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you and talk about whatever is of interest to you. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689. And if you want to email, it's gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot edu i want to continue on with things going on around town i was talking about the brazos valley orchid society uh, on the february 16th on february 18th saturday the gardens at texas a&m will be a part of their monthly talk with the brazos county master gardeners on various gardening topics now this one happens to uh, be about earth kind roses and i happen to be the speaker, although I've never been awarded the Master Gardener certification. That's <laughs> something I lack on the resume. But uh, seriously, I'll be talking about Earthkind Roses out at the gardens, and uh, what we will be doing is uh, g- giving a talk on varieties, talking about the basics of planting a rose and some of the issues that roses have. Uh, tomorrow in the uh, Eagle newspaper, my article is about roses, and it's about shrub roses. And uh, one of the things I like about Earthkind roses is you don't have to pamper them. You know, some of the hybrid teas that when everybody, when you say picture a rose or a dozen roses, I mean, pic, picture the long stem hybrid teas. And there's a lot of other flower forms on roses. Uh, and there's also uh, plant forms like a shrub rose. So when you have a disease resistant shrub rose, you've got something that looks good in the landscape. You know, we plant a lot of things that don't flower. You know, you've got dwarf yopons and you've got ligustrum or whatever kinds of things you put out there. Uh, And we plant it because we want a green bush. And uh, shrub roses can do that, but you also get flowers. And most of them are repeat blooming. uh, So you get flowers in waves. Uh, And I just think it's a a really cool thing. Uh, The there, you know, people that are really into roses are going to grow all kinds of different roses for, for all the reasons. But if you just want to plant a rose in your in your yard, uh, just starting with a shrub rose is, is going to be good. There's antique roses. I know out at the Antique Rose Emporium, that's what they specialize in, uh, antique roses. Uh, now in the rose breeding community, uh, they're focusing on disease resistance like they used to not. And for example, there's a a rose breeder, uh, Cordes, that uh, their fields are not sprayed at all. So when they do rose crosses and plant them out, they don't get a bit of fungicide, insecticide, those kinds of things. And so if they look good and have a pretty flower, maybe they'll get released with a name. 
And if they have any disease, they don't. So that's a wonderful uh, thing. That is a good thing. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to stand with an umbrella over your rose bush every time it rains and have a fungicide in the other hand so you can spray it right after the rain stops, you know. <laughs> yeah. I heard somebody say one time, it cracked me up, they said, roses were expensive pets waiting for a time to die. <laughs> <laughs> and that was years ago. I mean, they yeah. are so much better now. Yeah. But, um, oh, my. You know, we have we have a lot of rose misconceptions. And that... that that is one that, uh, yeah, I can't buy If I buy a rose, I have to buy a sprayer with it because I'm at the spray it all the time. Right. That's not necessarily the case anymore. The other thing is what I said about that rose bloom. We have roses that have um, really shaggy blooms, uh, just a whole bunch of petals all massed together, uh, blooms of different sizes, blooms of different colors, of course. Uh, and then we have blooms that are even single blooms. Right. Uh, have you ever seen the mutabilis rose I love or mutabilis. the butterfly? Yeah. That. It starts off kind of a buttery, coppery yellow, and it goes into sort of a pink and, and ends up in a burgundy Bur- yeah. kind of... Uh, some people say Coppery. cherry red, but I yeah. see. You know, I'm an Aggie, and I see if it gets anywhere close to maroon, we're gonna we're gonna point that out. There so. we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tabulus is a good one, and um, and like I say, it might not have the prettiest rose, but just what it'll get covered with roses. Yes. So. There is a plus. You can have a few really beautiful blooms, mm-hmm. or you can have a bush that's completely covered yes. with, like you say, flowers that are literally changing colors day yeah. by day. So on at the same time on the plant, you've got all these different colors. And right. That's why they call it the butterfly rose, uh, right. because it looks like butterflies have landed on the plant. Now, one thing we have to tell you about Mutabilis is it has wicked thorns. <laughs> it is like, you know, it, I, I always used to say it's probably the best one of the top five plants to put under your daughter's bedroom window. There you uh, go. <laughs> because, number one, nobody's going to escape with those little cat claw hook thorns. And even if they do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dad of daughters, so I, uh, I am I'll, just, I'll just be a little honest here and say I, there will always be DNA evidence on the thorns if they get away. <laughs> so we will find them. <laughs> uh, just kidding about that. But yeah. seriously, Mutabilis is a, is a great, it makes a big bush though. You yep. need to give it room to grow. But you can learn all about that. And, you know, the anti-rose import, we're fortunate to have them here because that's what they that's what they focus on. And they have great information online on the roses. And many of their roses are carried in uh, nurseries around around the, the region. And so that would be uh, that would be another another good reason to plant a rose. Yeah, and even though you know they're the antique rose emporium, mm-hmm. and that's the business that built them, mm-hmm. they do employ a rose breeder. Yes, you know, they I mean, they are constantly new... working yes. because the things that's made the antique roses so well mm-hmm. is they did have good disease resistance. Yes, um, and that's why they found them on these you know cemeteries and abandoned home right. sites. But still, they want to find ways to pass that disease resistance on yes. because, like you said, metabolus is thorny. Yes. You know, everything that you see on a rose is a trait. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you start breeding those things, if yeah. you breed for disease resistance, mm-hmm. you might give up fragrance. Right. Or you might create a thorniness problem yeah. that you didn't have. Yeah, and so, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. they. They do. Uh, Dr. David Byrne, uh, Texas A&M Horticulture Department, also has a rose breeding program uh, that he took a lot of the original stock that Dr. Robert Basie had here. And I'm going to talk about him in just a moment. Uh, Dr. Byrne has that and other materials. And they're working they're working on the the very big challenge that will take a while to solve. And that's the rose rosette disease. That is when you get that, you pull up the bush and throw it away. 
Uh, and so uh, they're working on that. So it's exciting to see all those kinds of things going on. Dr. Robert Basie was a uh, mathematics professor years ago. Uh, he, he is now the late Dr. Robert Basie. Uh, and he released s some roses. And I think the best of the whole group was Belinda's Dream. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I've seen Belinda's Dream at Disneyland in Florida and just as a shrub, you know, as you walk through the park. Uh, I, I've, I've said this before, but I think if you, if someone says, look, I got room for one rose and I want as much as I can have in that one rose. Well, Belinda's Dream makes a bush. Yep. It's disease resistant for the most part. Uh, the flowers kind of look like that, what people think that looks like a rose. It has that not quite hybrid tea, but close to it right. look. It's got a light fragrance. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to find a rose that has all of that in, in one package. There's and, some out there. And it has a climbing form. It, there is, yes. Yeah, I have, I have the climbing form at, at oh, my you? house, yeah. Okay. And Mike Shoup told me, who, you know, started the antique rose emporium, he told me that he felt that that was the most perfect pink rose out there. Oh, Belinda's Dream? Yeah, and for yeah. him to say that, I mean, that's, he has lots of roses. To, he knows to about hundreds pick. of roses, yeah. right? So, the, yeah. So, yeah, yeah lovely, cool. lovely rose. Yeah, you know, Belinda's Dream is, is it's a dream. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, gosh, we could talk rose varieties and everything till the cows come home. But let's talk about what you're interested in. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. You know, Jay, I'm, I'm pretty sure that as we sit here and talk, people just get to listening and they, they don't call in. They used to tell me uh, when I go on my monologues talking about some topic, you know, that's the phone kind of quits ringing <laughs> because it's like, well, I want to hear this. I want to learn something. And uh, so maybe we should just sit here in silence or I could start singing and <laughs> I will sing until the phone rings. Uh, and oh my gosh, see just the threat of that, the phone just rang. In there, there you go. So, so please do not let that man uh, launch out in song. <laughs> in song. Well, we're going to take a call here in just one second, um, and then we'll get back to uh, visiting with Jay and talking about some gardening things. Right now, we're going to go to the phones. We're going to talk to Kim. Hello, Kim. Hi, Skip. How are you? I'm great. I have a question about some shrubs. Okay. Um, I had some heavenly cloud sage planted about a year ago, and probably lost half of them due to, to the drought, due to overwatering and problems with drainage yes but um for the ones that are left they're looking okay just a little scraggly and i was wondering about pruning okay. try to get them to fill out and bloom a little bit more this year yes well first of all you're right about the drainage thing a uh, heavenly cloud sage uh, another name for the plant is cenizo uh, it grows wild out in west texas you drive out to uvalde that direction and you'll just see it as brush in the countryside uh, and when we bring it over here where it rains and where we often have really heavy clay soils, we need to go to great lengths to get those roots where they don't sit in soggy conditions. And if you can do that, it, it does pretty good. And I think you've, you've learned that and you've mentioned that uh, as well. Uh, as far as pruning, it's one of the shrubs that blooms on new growth. Uh, you know, some things, some of our spring bloomers, they made the buds last fall, late summer and fall, and then they bloom in the spring. Uh, Cenizo, or, or Heavenly Cloud Sage, is that particular variety specifically, uh, it grows during the growing season 
makes a bloom bud and blooms during that growing season. So therefore, what's, why do I point that out? Well, that means that you can shear them back however you want, and you're going to get new growth and you'll still get blooms. And uh, it depends on what you want the plant to look like. I kind of like a natural look. Uh, some people like the landscape meatballs and, you know, square boxes and shearing everything up like uh, they used to work for Louis XIV on his estate. Uh, and if you like that, you can trim it that way. But just keep in mind that if you trim regularly to maintain that shape, you will be cutting off growth that was about to bloom. Uh, so I, le I leave mine naturally, uh, Kim. And just stepping back from the plant, it's going to have a mounding form. And you may see kind of a wild hair that's coming out of that general mounding look. And just cut that one back into the foliage. And, you know, removing the wild hairs uh, maintains that natural look. So when you get through pruning, you can't really tell you pruned it. Okay. Um, if I wanted them to fill out a little bit more in the middle, because I'm really trying to, the ones that are left are sort of a hedge and a, um, kind of a barrier around some utility boxes oh so to get them to where they're not so thin in the middle can i cut them back or do i need to thin out through the middle how would i prune it to get that effect okay is, is it kind of the lower parts of the hedge where you're seeing through it or pretty much all all of it they're only about between 18 to 36 inches so they're not real big yet oh, okay. some are taller than others okay. but to try to get them to, to look a little thicker in the middle would right. be good right well any kind of shrub like that is going to produce foliage where there's sunlight so if you let the shrub get top heavy so that uh, to exaggerate it uh, like a capital v uh, then the top will have plenty of foliage, but down underneath you won't get foliage and, and you'll be able to see through it. If you hedge it a lot, you get a very dense exterior, but when you pull that back, it's all dead throughout the rest of the, not dead, it's all leafless throughout the rest of the bush. So if, if you want to get good fullness, you need to do some trimming to thicken it, but when you trim, make sure that you don't let the shrub make you make the top wider than the base. It, it, think of a trapezoid. It should be wide at the bottom and narrow at the top or close to it. It doesn't have to, to you know, be that narrow, but just make sure all parts of the shrub get light and then they can get, they will have leaves. And regarding your, your comment about cutting them back, yes, you can. Farmers in West Texas get a tractor and a brush hog and they run over their ceniza and slash it to the ground. And it comes right back. So you're not going to kill it. That's good to know you can't destroy it. Then. Yeah. Okay. I, I hate to say anything positively because you'll call in three months from now and say, you told me I could prune it and it died. Well, it died from some other reason if that happens. What's the best time to prune? Is it a little too early now? Do I need to wait you know, I'd, I'd wait I'd wait just a little bit, and that's just being conservative. Uh, mm -hmm. If you prune and you, we have some warm days and you get some new tender growth, and then we have a late hard freeze, uh, there may be some damage to it. That's a very hardy shrub, though. But anyway, I, I would probably wait until, let's say, we get to March 1st. And, and okay, start, all right. Start your shearing and pruning back then. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the call, Kim. Have a good day. You too. Our number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. 
And let's go to the emails. And we have one, let's see, from Susan. And Susan's want to grow, wanting to grow time uh, this year and just would like advice on information that uh, she might consider. She has seeds and will buy some transplants. If I were to throw out the seeds, she asked uh, in a pot, what, what conditions would be successful to grow? Have you ever tried growing these perennial herbs from seeds? Like I have not. Thyme? Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, it certainly can be done. Oh, yeah. It happens in nature. But Somebody's growing them. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing, I, I think I would start with a transplant. It, they're not that expensive, and if you're putting them in a pot, you know, it's not like you're buying a 100-foot row of plants. Uh, I think I would go that route. Now, if you want to, just for fun, try out growing some from seed, and give it a shot. Just make sure and keep the soil moist uh, and uh, during the germination process and so that it can get some roots down and grow them like you would other transplants. Good lighting is very important. Uh, don't, you know, you may have a... A table near a window but chances are that's not very bright when it comes to growing transplants so that's what that's what I would suggest uh, Susan and gosh there's so many types of thyme yeah. I had no idea how many there were until I went to a nursery that had a herb section like nothing I've ever seen before a uh, lemon thyme and elfin thyme it almost looks like moss you know growing on the forest floor oh, yeah. uh, just lots of lots of kinds of thyme okay all right but uh, I'm going to have to, Marilyn, okay, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Marilyn. Hey, Marilyn. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What's up today? Um, I have a question. I, I follow a Houston Gardening page on Facebook, and uh, someone had posted uh, a gardening kit from Rooted In, which I think is based out of Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, they have a couple of different kits. They have native and then they have edible. Yes. Um, it's like $80 for the kit, and there's several different plants. They're all native. Um, and I was just wondering if you had ever had any experience with that and what your opinion was, because we were, my daughter and I were thinking about purchasing that. And, of course, you have to go pick it up. They have several different locations, and we were going to go to Round Rock and pick ours up in April. Okay. Have you ever dealt with, with that? Uh, I know the folks that, that do that. And uh, at least one of them I know well, and he's a good horticulturist. Uh, when I've glanced at those uh, mixes before, they look good. Mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't oh. seen stuff like, why on earth are they selling that? Uh, City of College <laughs> Station Water uh, Water Department, the Water Conservation, uh, a while back was doing that kind of sale. They were having a sale here. So you might want to call Jennifer Nations over at the Water Conservation Department and see uh -huh. if, if they're still doing it, if they plan on doing it again, uh, because that would be about as local as you can get if you want to buy one of those boxes. Okay, is that, where is that at? In College Station? Yeah, in College Station. Just just oh, go okay. online and look at the city, College Station, Water Department, Water Conservation. And uh, uh, Jennifer, by the way, has a show on Wednesday mornings here on this same radio station. Uh, and okay. it's called Waterful Wednesdays, I believe. And you could call her in on that show, you know, next Wednesday and, and okay. ask them about that. Okay, well, that sounds great. I'll do that then. And I just wanted to see, you know, if anybody had had any experience with it. It was because it seemed like a really good deal for all the different plants, and they're all native. So I appreciate you answering my question. All right, thank you so much for the call, Marilyn. Thank well, let's you. go. Let's go back to the phones now and talk to Roger. Hey, Roger. Howdy, Skip. Um, just have a, a quickie for you or, or for your guests, and that is, I've got a arbor in my backyard which is half empty. And uh, I'd like to try a 
climbing rose that would uh, grow rapidly. Uh, do you have any suggestions on what kind I could use? Well, uh, I'm going to let Jay comment on that, and I may make some additional comments. Jay, you mentioned you had a uh, Belinda's Dream climbing. Is it a repeat bloomer? I would think it would be. So Belinda's Dream is a repeat bloomer. Mm -hmm. I mean, like a bunch of the repeat bloomers, yeah. it's going to do more prolifically in the spring, but then it's right. going to bloom throughout the fall. In fact, we've already had a couple of blooms on it this year, mm -hmm. so as soon as it warms up. But thanks for letting me take this. Just <laughs> FYI, if you're a Texas Gardener subscriber... We have an article that's going to be out um, in the issue that's going to come out digitally on February 15th on making a rose arbor using Peggy Martin. And okay. so Peggy Martin, you know, that's just, if you've never grown Peggy Martin, it is an incredible, incredible rose. It's probably currently my favorite climber. I think I so, think. too. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, Belinda's Dream is what they I would call a mannerly climber. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to get six, eight feet tall, maybe nine feet tall. Right. Peggy Martin, I think, will get as big as you'll let it. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's an incredible rose. And the young lady that wrote this article, it's got beautiful photographs and all. Um, she's, she's a good gardener, too, but mm -hmm. she makes it very, she gives very good directions on how to make a beautiful, beautiful rose arbor. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so along the lines that, so you heard about Belinda's Dream Climber, Peggy Martin, if if you've got a nice size trellis, uh, when I say nice size, I mean big, uh, there's a rose called, um, oh my gosh, I just went blank on the name. Oh gosh, uh, the Tucson rose. The, yeah, yeah, the Tucson rose. Uh, Lady Banks, Lady excuse Banks. me. There's a Lady, Lady Banks, Banks yellow. Yeah, Lady. Uh, that's no fragrance and a lady banks white that has fragrance it's little shaggy little blooms and they only bloom in the spring it's a once bloomer which by the way most climbers are to my knowledge most of them are once bloomers uh, so finding a climber that repeats is really a nice thing uh, but anyway pe uh, lady banks <laughs> a, a bride in the 1800s took one in the wagon out to tucson uh, brought it with her from back east and planted it and the last time I checked, it covered a quarter of an acre. Yeah, and it's they, unbelievable. You can go online and look for pictures of it. I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, going all over the ground. They built a structure for it. Right. And uh, so if you need a good shade structure, Lady Banks would also, and a very disease-resistant option. Yeah. Now, this too. thing's only about eight feet tall, and it, it's not all that big. It sounds like that would be a... It, it would overwhelm things. Yeah, it would eat it alive. So, but it would be good for Peggy Martin. And Roger, we're just droning on here. You might, you might have some uh, uh, other parts of your question that we didn't answer. No, that, that, that that's it. Um, I can find these at the, any of the. Uh, places around here yeah i would ask at our local garden centers um i think some of them you could probably find at antique rose emporium which is not far away at all and worth a trip uh, no, but I, I would call and ask and and if on things like that if they don't have them they probably can get them for you okay uh, sounds good all uh, right thank you very much thank you for the call john or excuse me roger uh now we're going to go to john uh hey john what's up good morning good to talk to you uh, I, I, you were talking about pruning the uh, sage. Uh, how, would that uh, first of March? How about grapevines? What are, what's your timing on that? You know, those? I prefer pruning grapes in the coldest dead of winter because when if you let them get to where the new growth is about to pop out, those vines just 
we say bleed, they just drip and drip and drip and drip. Uh, you know, like you have a leaky faucet where you made the cut. Uh, that doesn't kill the vine, but we would rather not have that. So I would prune them earlier. But if you've got one that needs pruning, go ahead and get it done because a grapevine grows a lot. It's probably the most pruned plant that we have in terms of the percentage that we remove when we prune it. We take a lot off peach trees and, and other things, but grapevines, the vast majority of everything gets cut off. So if you were to skip a year in pruning it, you'd have a mess. Well, I, I think that's what I've got. Okay. But I'm gonna, I'm, now that you've encouraged me, I'm going to go ahead and prune it now. I mean, I, I don't know if this is the dead of winter, but... Well... It, it's dead enough. I'd go for it, but I, but I bet you see a little bit of dripping. Okay, and I don't know if it's really a technically a climber, but but Mary's got a Don Juan that yeah. gets. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, um, twelve, fourteen feet high. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and it and it's a repeat bloomer. It blooms all year long. I mean, all spring, summer, and fall. I mean, yeah. it, it just. It's a beautiful red, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful red, and it make, really you can get some beautiful long stem roses. Okay. Off, off well, those. there you go. That's a that's good to know. Yeah, Don Juan's been around a long time, and it it would be another good one uh, to try. And it it doesn't seem to have any disease problems at all. I mean, it just keeps year after year going. Very good. All right. Well, any other thing going on out there, John? Oh, we're getting getting the garden going. I mean, got the garlic's up and the potatoes are in the ground and uh we're just we're moving along with it as fast as i can get it cleaned up and prepared we're planting all right well very good sounds like fun got the light tables going too on the transplant so all right <laughs> yeah, that yeah that that is one of the best expenditures a gardener that wants to grow their own plants can make is a good quality light uh, so that you can do it do it well I added a, an LED bar to it. Okay. Uh, this this year, I'm hoping maybe more light will help even get go faster. It it will, and it'll make them stockier too. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Thank All you, right. Skip. Thank you, sir. We're going to go back to the phones. By the way, the number nine seven nine eight four five five six eight nine, and we're going to talk to Jennifer Nations. Jennifer, you were listening. Hi. Hi. Yes, and I heard the caller talk about the uh, rooted in plant sale. We we are definitely. I've been in contact with Clint and the other people, and um, we're doing that again. It's just we were going to have it at the uh, nature center at Lick Creek, but they have. 576,000 things happening there that day. <laughs> yes. The Nature Center is working out beautifully. It's a wonderful facility, and it's very well used. But mm -hmm. on that particular day, it was going to be a little crowded. Yes. So as soon as we nail down a location, they'll update the website with um, the pickup location. So, And I better do that really quick so that people can get their plants here versus right. driving all the way to Round Rock. And, and when you say the website, are you talking about the... Oh, the Rooted In website. Oh, the Rooted In. Okay. Yeah. Now, as soon as we nail down a location, they'll add it there. Okay. And I, I bet uh, you'll be mentioning it on your show on Wednesday. Wednesdays, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. You want to tell, tell folks a little bit about Waterfall Wednesdays? Oh, thanks. Um, so that was a um, program. Um, they they reached out to me and wanted to get some uh, water information, and so it's it's kind of fun. I just I go in and record it, so it's it's not live, but um, it's just all things water. So, oh, okay. Uh, the latest one I talked about PFAS chemicals. Um, sometimes I'll talk about the plant sale. I'll talk about how to read your water bill. I'll talk about um, the BV Water Smart watering recommendations. Just 
anything anything and everything related to water. Sometimes my kids will ask me a weird question, and I think, oh, I think other people might want to know about there that. There you go. So it's not, yeah. don't call in at the show, uh, but right. just watch the, the Rooted In website, or I, I suspect you guys will have that information at the water department, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll put it out there. It was, um, I'm trying to, it would be nice to have like a covered location so that the plants aren't sitting in the hot sun, but you know. All right. Worst comes to worst, we'll just do it at the Utility Service Center or something. Okay. Well, hey, uh, just to have a little fun with you here, do you think it's okay to tell people they don't need to water their lawn this week? Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and that, that advice would, I, I'm just going to be naughty here, that, that advice would go to the two people on my street whose sprinkler system oh, are no. going off. So I told- I'm not going to name the location, but... <laughs> If they're listening, they know who they are. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I told you about when I lived in Houston. I had a neighbor that watered his yarn three times a week. And in Houston, uh, you almost never need to water your lawn. Right. And his sprinkler heads were so uh, out of line, they sprayed the, my car in my driveway. So I'd park backwards on some days to wash the other <laughs> side. Uh, but that was <laughs> that was the worst water story I got. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, thank you for calling in and clarifying that. Okay, thanks. You bet. You bet. All right. Let's see. We had an email come in from Bill, and Bill has some eastern red cedars, which are native in this area, and they turned brown last summer. Any chance they'll come back? Uh, if any kind of juniper or pine, uh, those those kind of needled evergreens or scaly-leafed evergreens, which is what I guess we would describe a juniper at, arborvitae, uh, when they turn brown, when, when you don't have... Uh, any green, that branch will never sprout again. Uh, so any other tree, you go in and you prune it, and it re-sprouts from below where you pruned it. But with these, they can only re-sprout from the base of a living needle or leaf, scaly leaf. So if, you know, Christmas tree growers have this happen to them too. When they're shearing a Christmas tree, if they cut too far in, they're gonna have a little hole there, and the only way that hole can fill in is from the sides. It takes a long time. And so that tree basically is, is lost. You just get rid of it and plant another one. But uh, that's true of our junipers. You know, we have bagworms that do that. We have spider mites that get on them, and they can, they can cause them to turn brown. But uh, if you were to go out to one of these eastern cedars on the roadway and just prune it so you're left with a hat rack, that would be the end of the tree. It cannot re-sprout. Uh, and do that. That's unfortunate because a lot of plants that might be good to have here uh, can be a problem. You know, these Italian uh, cypress, uh, you know, very upright, tall, columnar, they're beautiful. But when you plant a row of 15 of them and then one in the middle just turns brown and the others have these big brown patches that are now dead in it, uh, it sort of ruins the effect. All right. Well, Jay, uh, we've been talking about a little bit of everything today. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Good. It's fun to have you here. I always enjoy visiting with you. Uh, let's see. We've got a couple of minutes left. Why don't we just tell me a little bit about what you're excited about in your garden, your vegetable garden this year. What's uh, what what new or what are you busy with right now? Well, right now, I mean, I'm not really doing anything crazy different in the vegetable garden. I mean, I'm trying some new varieties like I always do. But one thing I get excited about this time of year, I really like my flowers. And so um, I bought some new starting trays, and, you know, I'm excited to try all of this. But like last year, just weird little thing, I found a lime green zinnia. 
And so I grew some of these lime green zinnias. I, you know, dried them out, saved the seeds. And so I got several trays of lime green zinnias started. There you go. And last year I started growing a lot of stuff, more stuff in raised beds. And I actually paired this up with a jalapeno plant, a tomato, and then a big chunk of these lime green zinnias. Okay. And in the fall, it looked pretty cool when the jalapenos were turning red and all of that. And the tomato had, you know, a few little fruits on it and all. Yeah. So that's what I'm excited about, lime green zinnias. All right. So. All right. That's interesting. I, I've seen those before. Um, that, and, you know, there's so many forms of zinnias and so many types of flowers. We talk about vegetables a lot. Uh, a lot most people buy their flowers from a garden center, uh, bring home a pack of them and, and plant and enjoy them. Uh, There's some that are so easy to grow from oh, seed. Yeah. You buy your seeds at the garden center. Zinnias are one of those. I mean, if, if they're just really easy. You can buy little compact types. You can buy tall cutting types, uh, little small flowers that are kind of single-ish looking, and then big mum-looking flowers. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah. fun. And they'll almost self-seed. Yeah. So if you leave them long enough, they will they will kind of self seed for you. And you'll bring in a few butterflies. You will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so. a that's another good thing about them. Uh, so yeah, think about trying to grow some of your own seeds. Try some things you haven't tried before this year, and especially with things like tomatoes and all our vegetables, you always got to try something new. I always put uh, enough of the standard dependables, the old faithfuls in, but you always got to try something new because that's the only way you're going to find the next best tomato for you or pepper or whatever you're, whatever you want to grow. That's right. You've been listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, with Jay uh, White today from Texas Gardener Magazine. We'll, I'll be back again next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.